There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends. But who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Hi, thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Nada Youssef, and you're listening to Health Essentials Podcast by Cleveland Clinic. Today, we're broadcasting from Cleveland Clinic main campus here in Cleveland, Ohio, and we're here with Dr. Edward Benzel. Dr. Benzel is the Chairman Emeritus of the Department of Neurosurgery and is a neurosurgeon in the Center for Spine Health at Cleveland Clinic. And today we're talking about back and neck pain. Thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you for having me. Sure thing. And please remember, this is for informational purposes only, and it's not intended to replace your own physician's advice. So before we jump into the topic, I'm going to go ahead and just ask you some off-topic questions to get to know you on a personal level. Sure. All right. So um, first of all, do you listen to podcasts? And if you do, what's your favorite? The answer is no. No, you don't. So I'm I'm sort of... uh, um, don't deal with uh, with uh, social media mm-hmm. and and these things. I I'm sorry. I'm, no, like, I'm letting good. you down here. You're reading. I? You read books though, right? I do or, read a lot. Yeah. 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 Uh. Good. Favorite book, maybe? Um, well, I'm into polar exploration now. Uh, so um, oh, nice. books about going to the Antarctic or the Arctic uh, fascinate oh. me. Wow, yeah. that is fascinating. Um, what about your best vacation spot? I think you just said it. Arctic. Yeah, my wife and I took a trip a uh, year and year and several months ago to Antarctica uh, on a wow. cruise ship. It was uh, it was a spectacular event. It was yeah. just wonderful. I've, I've heard it's life changing. Getting a bird's eye view of what's really happening to our environments and global warming and sure. that type of thing. Sure, great. And then, how about um, if you were not a physician, what would you be today? I well, <laughs> I, I went uh, in college. I started off in engineering. Uh, I suppose I'd be an engineer. An engineer. But I didn't really like that, and I switched to medicine, and so I ended up uh, in in medicine, and ended up here at this table talking to you today. Glad you <laughs> so, did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm glad I did it. I um, um, it's uh, there's a, a lot of appealing aspects of being a doctor. Um, uh, the first of which is being able to truly help people. Sure thing, sure thing. Thank you. All right, well, let's get back on topic. So back pain is one of the most common reasons people go see a doctor. Sometimes home treatment and proper body mechanics can heal your back, but sometimes it's more severe and needs some medical attention. Lower back pain is one of the most common complaints and can be caused by everything from strained muscles and bulging discs. So I want to talk about back pain. We all experience back pain at some time in our lives. When is it okay to live with some back pain, and when is it time to see a specialist? Okay. Well, that's a great question, and one, unfortunately, that doesn't have a perfect answer for every individual. Um, uh, you know, back pain, for the most part, is going to be a, have a benign source, benign cause. Um, and it depends on whether it's acute or chronic. In other words, it's come on very quickly or it's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, pain that comes on quickly probably should be given a day or two. And then if it doesn't, uh, don't, the patient doesn't see relief, then calling the doctor to see what next. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't expect an MRI study or an imaging study because um, they're almost always not helpful and are expensive and don't lead us any place good necessarily. We want to 
um, manage the problem, which is uh, usually if a, w with the onset of back pain, uh, is of an episodic nature, usually comes and then goes away. Um, and if it doesn't go away, then measurements such as physical therapy, um, exercises, et cetera, then would be the next level of care for the mm -hmm. problem. Okay. So you mentioned acute pain versus chronic. Can yeah. you talk a little bit more about the difference between those two? Sure. Um, chronic pain is, uh, in general, considered to be pain that is present for three months or more. Okay, that's just a, a rule of thumb. Mm -hmm. um, the the problem associated with chronic pain, though, is bigger than the, just the duration. As pain lingers on and on and on, it tends to transform into something that becomes much more difficult to treat. Mm a chronic pain syndrome, okay? Oftentimes in those particular circumstances, sleep is disturbed, patients don't wake up energized, they henceforth become fatigued, they have pain, they do less, they get stoved up and so they have more pain because they're not doing much and then they don't sleep well and then they become more fatigued and they do less and they go on a downward spiral, right. if you will, that uh, we, we need to, we, Healthcare professionals need to, and the patients need to try to nip in the bud, if you will. Mm -hmm. Sure thing. All right, so let's talk a little bit about spinal stenosis. Let's okay. talk about what it is and if there are any special considerations or recommendations for patients that are diagnosed with this disease. Okay. Spinal stenosis occurs at any level of the spine, ranging from the base of the skull down to the very bottom of the, the spine. Uh, I think in our case today, we're talking about back pain or mm -hmm. low back pain. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, associated with narrowing of the spinal canal okay. and most often also narrowing of the holes where the nerves go out to the legs and those are called the neuroforamina. Okay. Foramina meaning passageway. Sure, okay. sure. And so that can uh, cause, uh, uh, can cause uh, the squeezing of the nerve which causes it to be dysfunctional, weak, numbness, and can also cause pain down the leg. The pain down the leg can sometimes occur uh, with just motion, but more often the pain of spinal stenosis in the lumbar spine is associated with walking or moving or extending the back. When we extend our back, uh, we tend to narrow those holes where the nerves are passing through and out the spinal canal. Mm -hmm. And so when we um, uh, when the patients develop this problem, lumbar stenosis or narrowing, uh, they often walk hunched over. They like to use a shopping cart in the grocery store uh, because they can lean forward while they're walking. So just remember though that this is a middle-aged and above problem. Mm -hmm. It's not a problem seen in a young adulthood so much. Sure, sure. Now, when you talk about the spine, something like scoliosis, can you can we talk a little bit more about what scoliosis in is and if it can be acute? Yeah, it's acute. Well, unless there's trauma, scoliosis is not going to be acute. Unless it's something that's developed okay. over time. Sure. Um, and uh, oftentimes it be begins in adolescence or early teenage uh, years. Uh, where the spine develops a curvature and pediatric orthopedic surgeons might deal with that problem if it progresses to the point of needing surgery. Um, in adults, we see it as a result of degenerative changes of the spine, mm -hmm. where the spine is kind of wearing out, the bones are getting weaker, and the spine starts to tilt a little bit, 
And uh, then once it tilts, it tends to tilt more. Right. Deformities often progress over time. And uh, then we can see it as a manifestation of aging, not of youth, as opposed to the other type I mentioned. Sure, sure. <clears throat> so what is the cause for that, for the bones getting weaker? I mean, it, I'm sure there's a lot of risk factors. So we humans um, were designed to live about 30 years or so. Uh, but now, of course, with modern medicine and, uh, and uh, better foods, et cetera, we're, and medical care, we're living into the 80s, 90s, and 100s in some cases. And um, the bones keep wearing out. The discs between the bones keep wearing out. And so the aging process, which wasn't relevant to somebody who dies when they're 30 or 40, right. becomes very relevant to somebody who lives into their 70s, 80s, 90s, 100, because the process continues. We call that degenerative spine disease but, or degenerative joint disease, but in reality, it really is a natural aging process. It's not a disease. It's a natural aging process. And if the bone gets weaker and softer because our bone in the 70s, 80s, and 90s is softer like balsa wood as compared to the bone in that same person as a teenager, which is like oak. Okay, wow. so it's a lot stronger sure. and can withstand, uh, withstand the forces that cause it to bend and, and deform, whereas in the, in, uh, the mature adults, um, the, the process it doesn't have as much resistance, and so deformities can occur. So just like you said, aging, it's, that's what it is. It's not really even a disease at that point. Correct, it's just correct. We just correct, but we have, we have way, we spine surgeons have ways of, of treating that and causing people to be less symptomatic yeah. and to live even longer. Great. So, you know, we're, 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 we're trying to keep up with the problems of aging that wow. uh, occur in, in multiple areas of medicine. Sure, very interesting. So um, let's say uh, you get any kind of tingling in your arms, fingers, legs, can that be related to back issues? And then how could you tell if, if it is? <clears throat> well, it can be. Um, there are, are other problems, nerve problems, et cetera, that can, can cause tingling. And there are metabolic problems uh, that, uh, you know, uh, too much or too little of uh, a variety of uh, uh, compounds in the body can cause tingling. Um, hyperventilation can cause tingling. But it also can be related to um, to compression of a nerve root or, or something like that. And mm -hmm. the best way to sort that out is to see a physician. Okay. And sometimes they might order an MRI scan. Sometimes they may uh, say, oh, I... It's a different problem, you know, sure. maybe it could be a carpal, if it's in the hand, it could be a carpal tunnel syndrome, right. which is related to compression of a nerve in the wrist. Okay, okay. So it's getting warmer out. And let's say people are starting, you know, rake their leaves, work on their lawn. Um, a lot of people start complaining that their back goes out. So I want you to explain what that means, first of all, when someone says, my back went out. Um, and then when that happens, do you treat it at home? Do you wait it out? Or do you go to the physician right away in the emergency room? What, how do you treat it? Well, that's a great question. The, the answer to the last part I'll just briefly touch on yeah. is there's no absolute right answer, okay, okay, is when to seek help. Depends how comfortable the individual is. But what you're describing mm -hmm. is episodic back pain. Okay. And episodic back pain uh, is very common. Um, um, about 95% of people at some point in their life will have an episode of severe back pain. Mm -hmm. Usually it dissipates quickly. More often than not, it comes on uh, after a significant exertion 
that has been preceded by a long period of disuse or uh, uh, inactivity, yeah. such as, like you mentioned, um, springtime, you know, yeah. wintertime, people are kind of lounging around more. In right. the springtime, they get out and do a lot of stuff, and now they're stressing uh, their muscular system, so to speak, mm -hmm. in, in a way that hasn't been stressed for months. Right. Okay, so um, this episodic back pain is what we call a myofascial type of a pain. Myo, meaning muscle. Fascial, meaning the sinew that holds the muscle to the bones. And so the muscle gets overworked. It might, might, there might be a little tear or something, uh, uh, like a pulled muscle, if you will. Uh, and sometimes rest initially and stretching initially uh, are helpful. But the way to really manage this problem is to prevent it. And the way to prevent it is to use an exercise regimen that works on strengthening of the support system for the spine, both the neck and the back, mm -hmm. and, uh, and increasing the flexibility of the spine and, and mobility of the joints. Sure, sure. Great. And we'll get a little bit more into prevention a little bit later on. Um, I wanted to ask you about, you said there's muscle pain, there's, it could be disc pain. How could you tell the difference between disc or structural pain versus a muscle pain? Um, <clears throat> In general, I wouldn't consider pain coming from the disc, although that would be a point of argument with some physicians. So okay. I don't, I don't, I don't want to necessarily go there. But a disc in general, if it's bulging, can cause pain by impinging upon a nerve. And then it can cause pain in the distribution of that nerve. So if I got a, a, a nerve, for example, the L5 nerve root that goes from my back down the back of my leg mm -hmm. wraps around the wraps around the front as far as the pain goes and into my big toe. If that occurs, the doctor might say, "Aha, this is an L5 nerve root impingement, and we're going to look in your back for uh, an M with an MRI to see if we can find the source of that." Now, that doesn't mean you need surgery. It just simply means that. Uh, we're looking for the source of it because even when there is disc-related pain mm -hmm. from compression of a nerve, uh, the majority of those cases uh, heal by themselves. Oh, okay. So I can imagine many risk factors um, causing back pain. Can we talk about the most common ones um, besides aging? <laughs> well, We've talked about the myofascial aspect of back pain, which is the, uh, you know, the, the cause of episodic back pain. There's another type of, uh, well, there's several other types of back pain. Uh, one of them is mechanical back pain. Okay. okay. Mechanical back pain is related to a, a excessive motion or pathological motion between two vertebrae. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, like most commonly between L4 and L5. Okay. Um, uh, that's the next to the lowest and uh, the um, third to the lowest from the bottom of the spine. Okay. Um, and when there is this kind of motion, the patient can experience uh, deep and agonizing pain. It's a back pain. It's not leg pain. It's from this joint that's unstable in a sense. Sure. Okay? It's not like it's unstable. It's going to fall apart and the patient's going to become paralyzed. It's just moving a little bit more than it normally would. Okay. Um, so this deep and agonizing pain that the patient experiences is worsened by activity and improved by inactivity or unloading the spine, sitting in a position. So the patient can usually find a position of relative comfort, but with activity, walking, standing, stooping, um, 
the pain often is worsened. Now that is a type of pain that can respond to aggressive exercise program to strengthen the support system. That's stabilizing the spine and sometimes surgery. Um, um, I would caution that it should be rarely surgery, but sometimes surgery can help that kind of pain. Right. Um, and then there's chronic pain and the chronic pain syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, with this group of people, and it's very common, um, the pain is uh, may or may not have had an origin in the actual anatomy of the spine or the spine proper, um, but it could have. But now it's taken in, on a life of its own. Right. Okay, the patient doesn't. As I mentioned earlier, the patient doesn't sleep well. They uh, become fatigued, um, and they may be on uh, opiates or narcotic medications, which make the pain worse, not better, in the worse. long run. Okay. There is a relatively common phenomenon called opiate-induced hyperalgesia, which means that the opiates, when used on a chronic basis, uh, actually cause a worsening of the pain syndrome. Wow. So these patients need a, a lot more, uh, need much more intervention. Sure. Um, and in dealing with the, uh, not just the bio or biomechanical or biological aspect of pain, but also the psychosocial aspect of pain, biopsychosocial right. aspect of pain. Pain is an experience and it's a negative experience for people. Uh, but we all know that we can amplify our pain or we can minimize our pain. And patients with a chronic pain syndrome often are in a hole and they, they can't get out of it by themselves. They need help. Yeah, yeah, definitely see a specialist. Well, um, many patients seek the advice of multiple healthcare professionals, receive conflicting opinions, and which can be confusing and stressful to the patient. So I want to talk about the multidisciplinary approach that we have, like the back on track program, um, where you can partner with other needed specialists and improve your outcome. So um, first of all, I want you to tell me back on track. It's T-R-E-K. What does T-R-E-K stand for? Well, it's, it's an program? acronym. It stands for transform uh, restore, empower, and knowledge. Okay. So transform means, particularly with a person who's got this chronic pain syndrome, mm -hmm. okay, transforming their life from one of misery in which it's not just back pain, their whole life and their family's life is disrupted and turned upside down. Um, uh, restore means restore function, restore vitality, um, um, restore activity. Mm -hmm. Um, empower, that's probably the most important of those four letters. Empower the individual to take this problem by the horns and deal, it with, them, deal with it themselves. Empower them to manage their own health care and their own pain problem. And knowledge, doing all of this stuff through knowledge, knowing Understanding the anatomy of the spine to a certain degree, understanding uh, the, the, the muscle component of the pain, understanding the psychosocial aspect of the pain, and having the patient, in a way, understand that maybe they got to work through it a little bit, and there's, the pain um, may hurt them, but it's not going to harm them. Okay, so so many people are afraid to move because the pain feels like their back is going to split apart or their nerves are going to be severed or whatever. And a lot of the principles involved with our, our pain programs 
are trying to teach the patient that, no, it's pretty safe. Sure. You know, we need to move forward. Just like an athlete who has a um, knee surgery. It could be a season-ending injury to have the knee surgery. But if the athlete doesn't go through a rehabilitation process that is painful, mm -hmm. they will not play the next year. Okay. Yeah. okay? So, so that pain is okay. Yeah. Um, so what is the program? So they get to see a spine specialist and other uh, needed specialists for the one individual? Is that right. how it works? They, they, the patient will see a behavioral specialist. Okay. Um, that is a, a term that we use to um, imply a clinical psychologist, clinical okay. pain psychologist. Um, they will see physical therapists who are trained in cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. So the key here is... Um, not just doing physical therapy, because that doesn't do the trick. I stated earlier here today that physical therapy may not be, um, um, uh, you know, all that effective for managing back pain in a silo. Um, but when it's used in the educational milieu of the patient understanding their pain, understanding the other factors that affect their pain, such as medications if they're taking opiates, uh, and getting off of bad medicine, maybe getting on to good medicine, and uh, working through this whole thing uh, it, it, with a multidisciplinary approach, using the behavioral medicine specialists as well as the physical therapist. Our results uh, in our program, I don't do this program, I just support this program, sure. okay? So sure. uh, uh, has been extraordinarily successful in nearly all of the parameters that we studied. We mm -hmm. see a statistical improvement in in patients' outcome. That's, that's amazing. So you said they see a behavioral specialist or psychologist for pain and then also a physical therapist. Correct. Correct. Okay. And then there's multiple sessions and, and, and working through things and working through issues such as fatigue and sleep and activities oh, okay. and it's working on energy levels and quality of and, life, not yeah, just yeah, yeah, back yeah. pain. Right. Okay. So who's eligible for this? Is this anybody with back pain or? Well, in general, uh, we are trying to focus, although we'll t take practically all comers, uh, trying to focus on people who are at early, early on in the course, trying to prevent them from getting to the end game, which can be very difficult to treat. We sure. have other programs that will deal with patients who have been in chronic pain for three, four, five, six, ten years, whatever. Right. Uh, but the patients that are within a year or two of the pain starting, uh, we can have much more effect uh, with a simpler program. And this is a relatively simple program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. So um, does this program help you cope with pain versus treat it or both? Uh, that's a great question. And um, I'm going to hedge a little here. <clears throat> um, it most certainly causes one to d cope with the pain. Okay. I, um, you know, from my clinical psychology associates uh, will use the term my pain is so bad, I can't see you. It's in between us, okay? So I'm, I'm going, they're going to teach the person to put the pain over here. We're going to live our life, and you're going to deal with the pain, but it's out of sight. Sure. Now, can it manage the pain and make patients pain-free? Absolutely. So, I mean, I think it can treat the pain, right. too. Right. Uh, and, and so there's a little bit of both. It, it, it's the, the response to people who have had success with this when nobody else could help them and they felt, you know, the world was coming to an end, right. essentially, has been incredible and emotional on their parts. They uh, find significant uh, um, gratification uh, and, and satisfaction for having 
done this program and they succeeded because we allowed them to empower themselves. So empowerment. Remember Shift. I said yes, that the of the track? Yes. Yeah, empowerment. Absolutely. They need to be empowered to fix themselves. All right. Now, do you need a referral to get into this program? Yes. You do? Okay. Yeah. All right. So if our listeners would like to read more about the Back on Track program, you can visit ccf.org slash back on track. All right. So other treatments besides this program for back pain, when is surgery needed? When is it time for surgery? Um. First of all, I am what some would call a very conservative surgeon. Okay. okay, so I give you a different answer than other people. And you asked a question earlier that people get different opinions from different providers. Right. Right. And that's natural. People will say, why can't you doctors agree on things? Okay, I, I hear that all the time. Yeah. And I say, okay, let's, for example, let's take a theological question to a priest and a rabbi. Okay, they're both scholars. They're going to give us different answers. Yes. Or a political question to a Republican or a Democratic senator. Right. And we're going to get different answers. And they're scholarly people. They have opinions and they differ. Um, but in general, if somebody has significant unremitting pain from, for example, a disc herniation that's impinging on a, di uh, on a nerve mm -hmm. and they simply are not responding after two or three or four weeks, um, surgery is reasonable. But if we look at that population of people down the road a year or two out, those who have surgery and those who don't mm -hmm. are in about the same boat. So we're treating with surgery the acute pain, okay? Oh, okay? But what you don't want to have happen in that person is for the pain to go on and on and on and, and turn into a chronic pain problem. Right. On the other side of the coin, a person could have surgery for their spine problem and end up with some sort of a scarring or complications and there are so, so, so many people who have had multiple spine operations and are and, it's, and, and remain very unhappy campers. Sure. Um, and so we need to be very selective, I think, with surgery. So nerve compression. Mm -hmm. um, I mentioned neurogenic claudication. The patient can't walk very far. Uh, the older patient who has stenosis of the, of the, uh, of the spine. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are medications that can help with this, too. And patients should ask their doctor um, if they could try a, a medication that we call membrane stabilizers. Would that be appropriate? And that, uh, an example of that would be gabapentin. Okay. You said it's membrane stabilizers? Membrane stabilizers. Mm -hmm. What does that do? Um, they, are, uh, they are seizure medicines. Oh. Okay? Oh. And so... What a seizure medicine does for somebody who has a, say, a irritation in the brain, which causes their arms to shake, for mm -hmm. example, mm -hmm. uh, the seizure medicines quiet down the cells, mm -hmm. the membranes of the cells, so they don't fire and send a bad message to the arm, mm -hmm. okay? So this works in reverse. The nerve could be irritated or whatever, but it's sending a message back to the brain that my legs hurt when I walk. And membrane stabilizers work in about 50 to 60% of people. Um, they're not for everybody, that's for sure. Um, but it beats a complication with spine surgery by sure. a long shot. Sure, and that was actually my next question, that you know, individuals, some individuals avoid back surgery of, because of perceived complications or the notion that surgery may not help or make things worse. So you're saying to try to, to do other treatments and kind of see what your quality of life looks like before versus after I, surgery I, and kind of make your own yeah, choice. Yeah, I, I like to uh, 
live by the golden rule mm -hmm. um, and do unto others as what you would have done unto you, I most certainly would want to give everything, every reasonable alternative a shot before I have surgery. Right. Okay. Right. Um, but you would be surprised at the other end of the spectrum. How many people want surgery mm -hmm. and do not want trying conservative or other other strategies? Sure. They uh, want the quick fix. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and I'm sorry that can backfire. Right. Right. And let's talk about that. Well, let's talk about first of all some. Uh, popular natural remedies um, for back pain. Let's talk about massages, chiropractic treatment, acupuncture, adding to that yoga, Pilates, decompression, dry needling. I mean, there's so much stuff that could be labeled as a back pain relief. What yeah, there's very little data to back that up. Mm -hmm. um, and we must keep in mind that the placebo effect, mm -hmm. which is the percentage of, say, a person takes a sugar pill versus a pill for pain, mm -hmm. um, the placebo effect is about 30%. So 30% of the people who take uh, a non-treatment, if they think they might be taking a treatment uh, medication, will get better. And the same thing with uh, massages and, um, and a lot of the treatments, including surgery. Yeah. I mean, people yeah. sometimes get better or get worse based on their preconceived notion as to um, what they would experience. But massage, heat, ice, um, etc., are symptomatic treatments. If they make somebody feel better, you know, they should do it. What, what is to be lost from that? Uh, chiropractic, um, um, uh, acupuncture, mm -hmm. and other strategies, I don't understand, but I do believe there's some effect with these strategies. I don't prescribe them because I don't understand them. Yeah. Um, we have in our, in our uh, group here at the Cleveland Clinic a, a physician who does manipulation. Yeah. As a matter of fact, he has manipulated me twice and, and it was positive. Oh. I had for, for a neck problem. Okay, okay, so it's like a chiropractor. Yeah, he's, okay. a, he's an osteopath. He's oh, okay. a, he, a chiropractor is not a, not a, a MD or a DO, mm -hmm. he's a DO, doctor of osteopathy, mm -hmm. uh, and they uh, learn in their training as opposed to um, MDs, uh, manipulation strategies. Now, most of them don't employ that in their practice, but right. he does, right. and uh, to, with, with a significant effect, positive effect. Others like Pilates and yoga and things, uh, those are bordering on physical therapy. I think they're, they're, they're good. Sure. They're, 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 anything that gets the patient to do something, yeah. I think is good. Yeah. Do more, not less. Right. Hurt versus harm. Good. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, forward flexion. Mm -hmm. What is that, and should it be avoided when an individual is experiencing back issues? I'm not sure what exactly you're getting at here. I mentioned earlier that the patient with stenosis of the spine mm -hmm. uh, will relieve some symptoms by leaning forward because that opens up the holes where the nerves are passing through. Okay. Um, forward flexion, though, in general, is probably not good because it uh, in, induces uh, the tendency for the spine to curve forward. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm guessing you're talking about somebody like a dentist who leans over a lot. They have I mean, more... We they all, have, they, I feel like with technology, everything, yeah. we're leaning over all yeah. the time. You know, there probably is a cause and effect from you know, cell phone use and, yeah. and uh, you know, uh, emailing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but 
we, I would be very hard, difficult, it would be very difficult to prove that, okay? Right. But we do know there's a strong suggestion that dentists who spend a lot of time leaning over people have right. more neck problems right. than, the, than the regular population. Sure. All right, so I want to talk a little bit about prevention. So back pain can stem from other diseases, medical conditions, arthritis, fibromyalgia. Um, are there self-help strategies that we can adopt to prevent back pain or keep it from returning? Mm. Yes, I think that in general, um, people um, should just lead a healthy life. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, general well-being augmentation, if, if you would, uh, say, would say. I think that you know, losing weight if one is overweight, mm -hmm. um, cessation of smoking okay. if they're smoking, and people say, why smoking? Well, let me just add another reason why you shouldn't smoke, because smoking is associated with back and leg and arm and neck pain. Mm -hmm. And people who have those problems who stop smoking have a statistically significant chance of, it, of their symptoms improving. Wow. So there is, there is evidence to suggest that smoking is bad for the back, bad right. for the spine. Um, many surgeons uh, won't operate electively on patients uh, if they're going to do a bone fusion, mm -hmm. if the patient is smoking, because somewhere between 15 and 25 percent, there's a somewhere between a 15 and 25 percent reduction in fusion rates, success with the surgery in in smokers who have a lesser rate of sure. success than non-smokers. Sure. Um, I wanted to bring up exercise. Okay. So exercising is needed. Yeah. Um, but when you were mentioning someone has a lot of pain from movements. Mm -hmm. How do you, um, what, what are your recommendations for exercise for someone that has a lot of pain when they are moving or walking? First of all, I'm going to assess, if I'm seeing that patient in yeah. my clinic, mm -hmm. I'm going to assess whether motion is potentially harmful. Is there instability uh, that could cause harm if the patient moves? And if I, once I determine there is not, mm -hmm. then I encourage them to work through the pain to a certain degree. A little while ago, we talked about the athlete who has who needs knee surgery, and if they don't go through the levels, the planes of pain with each uh, progression through the rehabilitation process, they're not going to play next year. Right. And I would look at a patient with back pain in the same way. We need to go from one level to the next level to the next level of activity, and we need to have the um, the courage, mm -hmm. the strength, the perseverance to accomplish that. Sure. And if a patient doesn't have that, they may not be successful in, in managing their problem and they end up in that chronic pain syndrome pool right. of people. Right. How about sleeping positions? Uh, um, I really don't um, think it matters. I think people should sleep in the position that, uh, in which they're most comfortable. Sure. I, I, I have, <laughs> since I think about things like this because I am a spine surgeon, I have about um, five positions that I rotate between on my back, um, um, semi-lateral and far-lateral uh, right. turning. Um, and sometimes it feels good just to switch positions at, at nighttime. Uh, in general, the position that's most comfortable uh, for people with back pain is the fetal position, laying on the back curled up a little bit mm -hmm. and uh, just kind of stretching the back muscles, unstressing them, et cetera, which is also a pretty good position for a pregnant lady right. to be right. in. Okay. So pregnancy and obesity mm -hmm. share, share a, a spine uh, commonality, and, and that is 
uh, when a person puts a lot of their weight out in front of them, okay, they have to lean backwards to balance themselves so they don't fall over on their snout. Um, and when they do that, they load the spine in a different way, which actually can exacerbate back pain. So um, when is possible, like with obesity, losing that weight, because it causes a lot of stress on the spine just by virtue of the weight that's a, and the loads that are applied, but also because of the, the nature of the way the loads are actually applied, right. um, can, can be altered by losing weight. Pregnancy is a different story. I think starting you know, before pregnancy or in early pregnancy with good you know, abdominal and back strengthening and flexibility exercises are a way to stay ahead of the curve if possible for pregnant ladies, but uh, it can become problematic uh, towards that last trimester. Yeah, it's difficult. So let's talk about posture. Um, you know, we talked about electronics mm -hmm. and how um, something like text neck it's, isn't a, an official medical diagnosis, but I read about it all the time. Mm -hmm. um, can we talk a little bit about what that strain is doing to our necks? Well, in general, mm -hmm. leaning forward with the neck is uh, basically putting our neck into a posture mm -hmm. that we don't want as we age. So let me clarify that. Uh, aging is kyphogenic. I'll define kyphogenic yes, right now, okay? <laughs> Kyphosis means a bending forward of the spine, okay? So you look at somebody when they're 20, they stand in the military position, the head is roughly over the bottom of the neck, which is roughly over the bottom of the spine, okay? The spine has an S-shaped curve to it, so all those points meet. As that average person matures through middle life and into, um, uh, into early and later adulthood, they tend to lean forward in both the neck and the low back region. Okay, as they lean forward, it puts more and more stress on the spine, and the spine, the muscles that uh, are supporting the spine will then try to bring, bring things back up, but they can't because the, bone, the bones have developed arthritic changes, and sometimes they just won't go back into that extended normal posture. Over, this happens over years, over decades, okay? So... A good way to initiate that process would be to spend all your life doing this, you know, and uh, or or I don't know how many hours a day does the text the the aggressive texter do that? Maybe two or three hours. Okay, yeah, a that's a lot of lot of time. That you talked about sleeping posture. One thing I didn't mention is too much too many pillows are not good either. Mm -hmm. uh, you should have a pillow on the side of your head if you're leaning so your head doesn't go like this when you're okay. sleeping. Uh, but you shouldn't have a lot of pillows underneath your head so you're sitting like this when you're sleeping because that does the same thing as doing the text thing. So now you've got two hours at night with too many pillows, two or three hours in the daytime with texting, and that person is setting themselves up for the potential of having a lot of neck problems yeah. uh, later in their life. So are there like products that you can purchase that you can, can help with your posture? Because I know there's like things that work that you can put on the chair to keep your back straight. Are there things like that that you recommend? Um, I, no. <laughs> <laughs> to, be, to be, you know, I, I, and I'm sure uh, a lot of people will swear by this strategy or that strategy. But again, show me the data. Yeah, okay. Right. Um, I think just being cognizant of posture is, uh, is very important. I, I struggle with that because sure. I tend to you know, lean forward and, and, and be slumpy. Do, yeah. But I, but I, uh, so I, I try to focus on that. Um, and, uh, you know, any, 
any tool that forces you back into position is actually going to make your muscles weaker. But if you have a, something on your chair that causes you to lean backwards further, um, that could be good, but not necessarily because of the pillow, or the, but because it's reminding you. Right. Every That's time you is. sit down, right. oh yeah, I got to be cognizant of my posture. Right. Oh, right. I'm going to sit up straight. Sure Here. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now I have a question about myself. I crack my back uh -huh. a lot. How do you do that? Daily. I twist. I yeah. twist from side to side yeah. and it cracks my back. Okay. It doesn't feel bad. It feels good. I don't know if I'm messing up my back. Is this a good thing? Should I stop? What, what do you think? Uh, that's called crepitus, mm -hmm. okay, which means it's sort of like cracking your knuckles, yes. okay? It is not good or bad by and large. Uh, I, uh, you know, there may be specialists who will say, you know, I'm crazy for saying this, but I, I don't think it's bad or, or good. Mm -hmm. I, I was actually, now that you bring this up, I was treated by a chiropractor when I was 16 years old because I was wor working on a farm throwing hay bales around, mm -hmm. and I, in quotes, threw out my back at age 16. Wow. And my mother took me to the chiropractor, which is about 40 miles away, in our old 54 Bel Air Chevy, and uh, it, I felt every bump in the road. It was wow. exceedingly um, painful. Mm -hmm. So I get into the chiropractor's room, he puts me on his side on the table, and he manipulates my hip and my shoulders and then does a quick motion. And it was like I felt every bone in my body pop all the way down wow. and my pain went away. Wow. So you go figure. I don't know what happened there, but I know that that popping was good for me. Okay. Okay. Because that's what it feels. It feels sometimes like yeah. my back is stiff and if I do that, I feel better. Yeah, but yeah. I always hear I, the cracking I, I, your knuckles. I wouldn't worry about it. You know? Okay, good. <laughs> good. All right. So I want to talk uh, um, about something like shoes. Can shoes be reason for back pain it's another one of these things you know you got to buy an expensive bed with a bunch of numbers on it <laughs> uh, you've got to uh, use certain pillows you got to use shoes that are designed to make your back better yeah. well I'm not sure I think whatever is most comfortable okay. is what what you should wear I would caution against you know if particularly if a person has back problems against high high heels yes. because it puts the spine and the entire body into a position of significant uh, 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 deviance from normal. Sure, sure. So is there a proper way of uh, someone like, let's say, I, I'm, again, prevention, mm -hmm. stretching your back? Is stretching your back something that you should do daily so you can make sure that you have a good posture, that you're not having any issues? And what is the best way to stretch your back? Well, uh, I, I do a couple of exercises for my back. I lay on a carpeted floor uh, in my case, I, on a throw rug in the bathroom before I shower in the morning, mm -hmm. and I'll push on the floor and let my back sag. That stretches it in the extended position. Okay. And then I will go down as far as I can and touch my toes. Okay. okay? Or if I can't, if, if a person doesn't have that much flexibility, they might go down and be th three or four inches from the floor. Right, okay. Right. Or another person may be able to palm the floor. Okay. So we need to work with uh, within reason there, sure. but unless there is an acute herniated disc or some other problem that the patient knows about, these things are good, but they should never bounce. In other words, bounce down and try to touch the floor. Um, you know, it's a gradual thing. Sure. How, how far can I go today? And I just go there and hold it for a little bit, mm -hmm. and then I come back up. Okay, so even Bounce with, go ahead. I'm sorry. Bouncing um, can 
it, you know, it's really stressing the spine. If there's a disc getting ready to pop out or, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, herniate, yeah. it could induce that. So that's why I'm saying sure. no bouncing. But then if you do have back issues, lower back issues, uh, bulging disc, you should still do these stretches, correct? Uh, I believe so, okay. yeah. Okay, in, in the most cases, now there might be certain circumstances in which uh, the provider may say, no, that's not a good idea, and I'd, I'd go along with that. Sure. So you stretch your back every morning? Um, well, I actually, I do that four days a week. I have four a routine, you know, try to different things, different days. Great, great. Definitely like to hear that. And then... Um, and, and people ask me, why are you doing all these things? You don't have back or neck pain. And I said... Bingo. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I have had uh, episodic back pain in the past, and yeah. I said I got into this routine, and it's been a good routine so far. As I age further, or let me rephrase that, as I mature further, mm -hmm. um, I may need to do more because sure. a, it, the person who ages needs to work harder and harder and harder right. at staying ahead of the curve. Sure, sure thing. Yeah, you're doing all the right things. How about hydration? Can hydration affect disc health? Um, in general, no. The disc is sort of hydrated. Um, it is hydrated um, in youth mm -hmm. and in early early adult life uh, through a mechanism of compressing and and uh, and uh, relaxation, compressing and relaxation, mm -hmm. basically sucking water into the disc because there's no blood vessels that mm -hmm. go into the disc. Okay. Um, uh, but hydration in general is just good for us. I mean, we should all drink, a, you know, multiple glasses of water a day and whatever, whatever else to stay hydrated. Sure. Um, uh, but it doesn't have any major effect on spine and spine okay. care. Okay, good to know. Um, okay, so I want to talk a little bit about physical therapy. But first, what is a McKinsey method? And do you recommend this for a patient that's suffering with back issues? Yeah, um, there's various uh, strategies of physical therapy, mm -hmm. and they're sort of like religions, mm -hmm. okay? So people believe in one strategy versus another strategy, so I have to be careful here. Yeah. Um, but we in general support, and there's like the Williams method, the McKenzie method. Uh, we in general here at the clinic support the McKenzie strategies, mm -hmm. which focus on extending the spine. Okay. Uh, and so it's a... It's, it's a little bit of a different strategy than others, but extending the spine, you know, causing more uh, uh, posture-related uh, improvements, et cetera, but also putting the spine back into a normal alignment um, so that the posture is better mm -hmm. and the pain is better. And there is some thought that if there's a disc bulge with the, strat with the McKinsey therapies that some of the discs can be caused to move back into their normal position. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that's true, okay. but by and large, patients in our experience do best with McKinsey physical therapy. Okay, and that could be implemented in the back on track program? Yes, they would use that as one of their tools, sure. just one of their tools. One of their okay. many, yeah, one yeah. of their many. Right. Excellent. Well, that's all I've got for you today, unless you have something well, else you want to talk about. This has been an en enlightening session for me, and I thank you for, thank you. for uh, this uh, wonderful conversation. You made me think, okay, <laughs> and uh, asked great questions. If I had one recommendation for um, people, um, is that be leery of surgery. Be appropriately um, cautious. Um, um, I have estimated that we do two or three two times as much 
spine surgery as we should be doing in the United States. And there's a lot of people that are hurt very badly uh, by having one, then another, then another spine surgery. Um, so I would seek people, providers, that provide a multidisciplinary approach to the problem, that listen and take things seriously that you say, and that don't think surgery first. Surgery first is, in general, not the right way to go about at least pain of spinal origin. Sure, sure. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for stopping in today. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. And if you would like to make an appointment with the Center of Spine Health, please call 216-636-5860. Or for more information, you can go to clevelandclinic.org slash spine. And thanks again for our listeners for joining us today. If you would like to listen to more of our Health Essentials podcasts from Cleveland Clinic experts, make sure you go to clevelandclinic.org slash podcast or you can subscribe on iTunes. And for more health tips, news, and information, make sure you're following us on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram at Cleveland Clinic, just one word. Thank you. We'll see you again next time. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.